Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 190, Some Kind of Soul Colonic. This week, we're discussing season 3, episode 10 of Battlestar Galactica, The Passage, and season 3, episode 21 of Angel, Benediction. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we're starting out with BSG this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you had some production notes for the passage. Yeah, a um, couple things I wanted to highlight. First being the goddess Jane Espenson. Um, making her <laughs> yes. pa- patron saint of our podcast is what I'm calling her because um, she makes her BSG debut here and um, she has worked or been close to every single show that we've talked about on our podcast. Um, you know, obviously. Yeah. She- and, and I mean, not something we planned. It's just she's so prolific. Yes. That, uh- Hugely prolific and tends to work on, you know, quite excellent shows that we, you know, are fond of. So if you're into, um, you know, sci-fi and fantasy TV in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, odds are she might have worked on it at some point, you know, (laughs) that's just how, uh, how in demand she Um, is. And, and not to brag, but she replied to one of my tweets. (laughs) So I'm just gonna throw that out there yeah but yeah perfect timing too um so yeah um yeah i mean obviously she's significant writer on on buffy and she's written for angel and you know firefly too um and then you know she has yet to write you know an, an actual doctor who episode although i think they should get on that um but uh but she did write for torchwood which is you know close enough um and uh you know so here she is you know, also writing for BSG, um, and not just, uh, this episode, but she goes on to write several more episodes and, um, and comes on, you know, in a higher capacity, um, you know, for season four, like she starts out as kind of a writer producer and then, you know, is executive producing for season four. Um, and even goes on to be involved and one of the showrunners for the, the Caprica spinoff. Um, so, you know, uh, not just writing an episode, but actually becoming a significant, you know, part of the series going forward. So it's, even if we didn't already love her, it would be a reason to sort of, you know, pay attention. Um, and so, I mean, we can talk about this, uh, in more detail but I also kind of was thinking like given what we know of her this isn't the kind of thing that I associate with Jane Espenson's writing like it's not particularly humorous this episode um sure you know it, it has a few little moments which maybe we can there's one in particular that strikes me as very um you know Espenson-y um but those are kind of few and far between in this episode so um Espensonian. Espensonian, I like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to mention too, like, you know, giving a a a major character death to like one of the you know a writer who hasn't written for the series before 
I mean, obviously she's a proven and trusted writer, so it's not like she's some amateur, but like still like that's kind of unexpected too. So this is, I think, going slightly against, not, not against type for what she does, but maybe the kind of thing you expect a team of writers to give to a new person coming in and kind of getting their feet wet and everything. Um, and then, yeah, although I, well, I would caveat, I would, I don't know that I'd characterize, well, maybe we, we can talk about this since we'll end up talking most of the episode about the character anyway, Yeah, but I don't know that I would characterize Kat as a major character. Well, like a, and that's a, true. I mean, uh, a, a, a important secondary character. Yeah. And, sure, and but. that's kind of, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like not one of the main characters, but you know, but not just, I mean, uh, without getting into the whole thing, like it's not necessarily a recurring secondary character that happens to die in an episode, but it, it's an episode built around the character death which I guess to me makes it feel sure. more significant than you might think, given the fact that and she is just a recurring character, not one of like the main regulars and everything. Um, so maybe that's worth talking about and maybe what makes it feel a little bit different. Yeah. And I don't mean, I don't at all. Like I, I like Kat's character and I like what they do, what, you know, Eswinson did with the episode here and everything. So I don't, right. I don't mean to minimize the character at all. No. Um, just want to just like if you have sort of the tiers of characters like yes, you know right lee and hilo and adama and athena and boomer and and starbuck like those would all be main characters in my eyes mm -hmm. and cat and you know along with like racetrack and hot dog and right you know whatever like i think cat is sort of at the top of that secondary list but not mm -hmm not really quite in the main right. character list right from my perspective no and that's true um no and, and kind of when i was now that i think about the way i was thinking um when i when i kind of was saying major character death it's not maybe even so much that the character is major more so that the death is major like is kind of maybe more how sure. i'm thinking about it like it's Fair presented enough. as a major event um, even if the character itself seems like a slightly smaller, yeah. Um, which actually I want to, so let's really quick before, cause I think we want to talk about the story. Um, <laughs> might as well mention that character, um, being played by this actress, Luciana Caro, um, who, you know, uh, this is her final episode, but she actually also goes off to be on Caprica, which was weird when I watched it. It was like, why is Kat in the past and playing a different character? Um, but she just, they cast oh, her really? as, they cast her as a totally different character. Um, and uh, so. I mean, we've seen that in the Buffy verse too. Yes. So, you know. I mean, usually it's like something like, oh, they were in like alien makeup. So it looks, it's like just her. Sure. Like, I mean, she's playing it. She plays it differently. Like, it's not that it's supposed to be Kat, but she looks significantly right. enough the same. that Or, it, or Sasha. Right, exactly. So it kind of <laughs> threw me a little bit at first, but hey, I'm not going to begrudge anybody getting a job. Right. It's not like you have like Luke and the judge, right? Like where the, it's like the same actor. But like you would never Under tell, so much yeah. makeup and rubber that you can't. Right. Yeah. Tell who it is. Right. Right. And it's not like, it's not like Peter Capaldi shows up as the doctor. So we have to like 
invent a reason why we've seen this face before. It's like she just happens to also be played by the same actress, but it's fine. Um, you know, she's a good actor and they should use her if she's who they want to use. Um, so I actually wanted to just because it's a funny piece of trivia, share the story. I'll link to the YouTube video, but there's a story where she talks about how she found out she was dying, which normally with something like that, like you'll get a call from the producers saying like, hey, this is coming, you know, FYI and everything. But um, before they did that, um, the script was sent to her apartment and her roommate opened it, <laughs> like opened her mail and read the script. And, and called her, so Luciana Caro's in the airport and her roommate is calling her saying, oh my God, this script came and it's awesome. Like you are in it so much and you get to do all this stuff and you're this hero and all this stuff. And she got kind of like, she kind of got suspicious and said, all right, just flip to the end and like, tell me what happens. And, uh, and the roommate's like, oh, it's so cool. They put your picture on the memorial wall and all this stuff and like tells her. <laughs> and of course she knows what that means. So she starts like freaking out and crying in the airport and saying like, I'm dying in the airport. And so then she has strangers wondering if like she's being told over the phone that like she has like a terminal oh, illness like and like, oh, my God. like talking. So this whole like traumatic thing. Um, which has nothing to do with anything other than it being a funny and memorable story. Um, sure. But um, in that same little interview or whatever, she's kind of is also saying like, well, but if, if you had to go, this is probably a good way to go and a good episode to go down. Yeah. And, and, um, and the way that, you know, it is nice sometimes if they are going to kill a, a, a slightly smaller character to spend time giving them some meaty stuff to do and building up their character and their backstory and the ways that learning those things informed, you know, uh, mm -hmm. decisions that she made and her understanding of who Kat was and why she was the way she was and everything. Um, yeah. So yeah. anyway. Um, well, yeah. And on that note, I want to just to add that, like, even though, I would say she's a secondary character on the show. I do think they do a good job of showing that she's not like a secondary person in the crew of the Galactica. Right, like, sure. Like she's a legit pilot. I mean, and we and I mean we've seen it in the show too, where like like she took the Stein from Starbuck, right. and you know she's she was CAG for however long, and mm -hmm. you know and all of that. Like so. You know, again, not that, like, she hasn't had her accomplishments and, and whatever that we've gotten to see, but also that, like, Adama comes and sits by her side. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's not like, like, on the one hand, you get that, like, he would do that for any of his people, mm -hmm. but also, like, that he knows Kat. Like, yeah. it's not like, oh, this is just one of the people who reports to my son kind of thing. Right. Like, this is someone I know and trust mm -hmm. and, you know has been part of my crew for however long and all of that. And so, yeah, I don't think it like, again, while she might be a secondary character on the show, mm -hmm. as far as like amount of screen time and all right. of that, right. like, I we don't, don't think, spend I don't as much think they treat her, her yeah. as like, cause I feel like sometimes a lot of times in shows and, and maybe, maybe rightfully so. Cause like you can't necessarily delve into all the backstories 
and stuff. But like you get the sense that like secondary characters are people like who the main characters also don't see very often. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that like, like we don't see them as, you know, viewers of the show, but also that like the people in the show don't see them. And that's why they're secondary characters Mm -hmm. because they're not in the lives of sort of the main characters. But like, I don't think you get, and maybe just by virtue of the fact that like, it's the Galactica, it's Mm -hmm. relatively, I mean, it's a big ship, but still fairly small. Like as far as like, Right. That sort of thing goes, right. and like you're gonna you're gonna still be living and being with those people on a day to day basis. So, yeah, you have to sort of tell the story mm-hmm. as though that's the case, mm-hmm. and it is the case. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we just don't we don't see it as the viewers, but the the people in the show are interacting with her all the right. time. Right, that's not where the camera's pointed, but you still get and a I, sense of that depth there. Um, and actually, yeah. I I I stand by my statement that in some ways this is going against type for Jane Espenson, but it occurs to me that that's one way that this is very Jane Espenson is taking a smaller character and putting them at the right. center of the narrative and like saying superstar like, this or, is, this yeah. is her doing for Kat what she did for Jonathan and saying like, all right, we're going to take this, you know, kind of, you know, still vivid, but less developed supporting role. Um, and actually put them at the center and give them some real depth as well as, you know, some of the like more, you know, like they're very vivid characters. Like I said, like you, you know, because they're played well, you know, kind of all about them, even though you don't know much about them, you know? So like, this is like an opportunity to actually learn more about them at greater depth, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, I think clearly a thing that she does and is good at. Um, and I don't actually know whether this was her idea or whether they gave her this this brief. And I'd be curious to know. Well, and that that was going to be my question too. Is is then how much of that was right? Was her or was was it sort of right? You know, was it like okay, broad strokes? You know, we want to have this situation, and you know, get here to there, and we want to have someone die. And was it like? Jane Espenson came up with like who dies mm-hmm. and does all that, or was that that sort of mapped out? Or yeah, but, and then, I mean and either I way, know. like I'd have I, to go and I didn't listen to like the commentary or anything, and you know I'd have to go sure. back and uh, you know see if they made any definitive statement one way or the other. Um, but I mean, but re- regardless, I mean it's still well done. Yeah. You know. Right, uh, and it's either Jane Espenson doing her classic thing of I have an idea. Or it's Ron Moore saying, here's the perfect person for the kind of episode we want to do because she's done this kind of, you know, story before and it's a good marriage of, you know, writer and concept and everything. And either way, whoever's idea it was, I think it was a good call. Um, Sure. So, yeah, now that we've talked around the story... um, where would you, uh, where would you like? Sorry, <laughs> See, that was like the quietest I sneeze I've ever heard. Um, um, where would you like to start with the actual story itself? Yeah, well, um, I kind of want to start with just sort of the overall situation. So, um, I was saying, uh, I don't think I said this yet on the podcast, but I was saying, I think before we started recording how this is another 
like we're returning to sort of a tried and true formula of um really early season one mm -hmm. although i think we get a little bit of it later too um where it's like you know solve the problem of the week mm -hmm. uh you know uh this time you know so it was you know first you had like 33 with like okay the problem of the week is the cylons keep showing up every 33 minutes mm -hmm. why you know what are we doing let's get out of here and then like um or actually even going back to like the miniseries isn't it where they like oh no we don't have any ammunition how do we get ammunition okay that that takes up like one half of mm -hmm. like you know one of the miniseries episodes and then like uh, which is, a, you know, would be about the length of a regular episode. Right. And then, um, you know, you get like, uh, is it water or whatever, mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, well, now you have like, we don't have enough water. And so we need to find someplace that has water. Right. And right. if we just had water, we would, you know, be able to live for a long time based on recycling and right. whatnot. Right. But right. we right. need to refill. And then they, they need to go get Tillium later on in the right and then one. there's yeah. telium yeah and then um and then you do have like scar where like mm -hmm. okay we're mining and we have to be here for so long but there are the you know there's this evil you know regenerating cylon you know ship that keeps attacking us and it's figured out all our best moves and but that's kind of like a character study of the cylon so it, mm -hmm. the, the plot is you know the the mining plot there is kind of secondary but mm -hmm. anyway so so i feel like we've had a number of those but not for a while mm -hmm. right so now we're returning and now it's now it's food mm -hmm. now we're um presumably okay with tillium and water and all of that mm -hmm. um at least to a certain extent but uh they made their quick escapes from caprica mm -hmm. right from new caprica sorry um and now they're like running low on foodstuffs. Mm -hmm. uh, they, so this is always the problem with this type of thing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they've somehow figured out that on the opposite side of this, whatever star cluster or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, or I don't even know. What is it again? Some kind of cluster. I, they kept saying cluster. I couldn't figure out what kind of cluster it was. It was a cluster something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a big cluster. And so. The cluster. Somehow. You know what? Some Somehow. This cluster. Star cluster or whatever. Um, is so intense with radiation and everything that like even like a few whatever feet ship lengths away you can't like see or communicate or whatever with other ships but somehow they're able to detect that there's a planet full of algae or something on the other side of the star cluster like through all of that noise and whatever so i don't like it's that thing of mm -hmm. you just like don't like how do they even suspect that this is the case and send Athena mm -hmm. out to like oh we think there's some algae over that way like <laughs> go check and see um even if it might kill you right um it just seems very like eh, I don't know 
Sure. Um, also, like, I feel like based on, like, was it just last episode or the episode before that where where they found the lion's head nebula and stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, like, I'm not clear where we are now. Mm-hmm. Like, some are we someplace past that then? Or, like, are we moving towards Earth? Like, have we figured out the right direction? Like, I just kind of feel like it's like, we're out here in the middle of nowhere trying to get through this cluster mm. to food, but we don't, we're not like it, like that sort of setup isn't real good. Sure. Um, or really well explained, I should say. Mm. Um, but that aside, mm. um, you know, the basic, uh, okay, we need food. There's food over there, but it's hard to get to. Uh, right. They need to make multiple, well, they need to, Apparently, they can't jump from one end of the cluster to the other. It's too far for that kind of a jump. So they need to, you know, there's like one interstitial jump that they need to make from within the cluster. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not real clear on how how far they can get, like in in their jumps, right? Like we we're never we're never quite told like. Right. You know, like, is it, like, how do they measure? Is it, like, parsecs? Is it, like, light years? Like, is it, I, I don't Clicks. even know, like, yeah, <laughs> right. Like, like, what's the distance? And, like, right. how how does that? Well, and it, 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 it further muddied by, it seems like it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, like, maybe there is a physical distance of how far you can jump, but that also maybe is affected by what else is around you. So like if there are things messing with instruments, sure. then that might affect like shorten the amount of space you can actually go before it becomes too dangerous or something. I don't know. It's the kind of techno babble, right. you know, um, uh, kind of, um, you know, I mean, it, it kind of is what you said. Like it, it makes, it makes enough sense to kind of like, say I understand what the plot is and why the general broad strokes of why we're doing what we have to do you know does it hold up to further scrutiny maybe not so well as other episodes um yeah and I think it is kind of like scar in that way where like it's more the focus is more so on the character study and the 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 kind of need-based plot is um, more secondary to that. Like maybe even more so than those first season episodes. Um, where like, like I feel like with those first season episodes, like there was some um, question as to how the plot would be like figured out. Like, like, okay, we're lacking water, but part of the plot is figuring out how do we find water and are we going to find water and all that. And like, or like if the silence are ch- chasing us, the one of the big questions is like, not just how long can we do this, but like, how are we going to break that pattern and get away from it? Or if it's finding Tilium, it's like, okay, we have to plan the assault and actually execute this whole like battle plan and everything. Whereas like, this is like, there's really no mystery to it. It's just kind of like, can you survive it or not? Like, like, 
it, it's like sure. within the first five minutes, they know where the food is and they know it's just over there. It's just so the like the whole story is, can you physically get to it? And that so then maybe like less thought was given to like the mechanics of like, you know, how mm. and why and, you know, um, and I don't know whether that's uh, better or worse in terms of the writing, I guess your mileage may vary or whatever, but. Um, yeah. Right. So anyway, so long story short, they need to, um, they have to jump somewhere into the middle of this cluster, recalculate, recalibrate, and then like jump to the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and the way, and so because the civilian ships uh, are, are, have less, you know, radiation protection apparently than the military ships um they basically bring all the civilians onto the galactica mm -hmm. um or at least onto like the galactica and any other like more heavily shielded ships mm -hmm. i don't I, it's not clear like does everyone literally end up on the galactica or is it like yeah probably not i mean it's kind like, of hard to see how what like forty thousand people could? Yeah, right. Because like the ship is only built to like house like a tenth of that. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would probably what you said is there are certain ships that are a little bit sturdier than that who can. Yeah, kind like of... maybe like the Tilium refineries, like right. well shielded because it has to be or whatever. Right, right. Right. So like, anyway, so like they they spread out, or well not spread out. I guess they consolidate the civilians onto like the more protected ships and then um the ships that are less protected you know like still have a skeleton crew to like fly them through and they're you know being escorted by the raptors mm -hmm. um you know through the thing and in order to get all the ships across they need to do this the raptor pilots need to do this five times mm -hmm. which is very taxing um subjects them to radiation and this brings me to my third objection <laughs> Um, third no, out of how many? No, I'm kidding. Out of three third, for now. Third of three. Um, no, like if you were in the military and like this was like, oh, you're going to be subjected to like high levels of radiation. Nobody would leave it up to the individuals themselves to monitor their own radiation badges. Mm. Like that would be like. Doc Cottle will be standing there to make sure your badge is okay before you sure, go on the next sure. flight. Because this is after decontamination. Like, it, we're, you know, everyone's going to be decan decontaminated mm -hmm. once they get off their ship, which they are. Yeah. And, you know, you pull them out and then they're walking around like, hey, three seconds ago I was full of radiation. Now I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, like, it's not like they have... Like what? What the hell else is like the rest of the Galactica crew doing when like these eight Raptor pilots are out doing it? Like it's not like there's so much else going on at the moment, right? That you can't like assign someone to say, "Hey, check and see if his badge is black," right? Right. Or her badge, or whatever. Like, so that just seemed like, especially mm -hmm. knowing that like radiation could cause people to act erratically mm -hmm. <laughs> and. 
you know, whatever, if it's, you know, gotten your brain or whatnot, like it just seems really strange to me that that would just be left up to mm. pilots to monitor their own batches. That, that doesn't feel real to me. Right. But, well, and, and, uh, you know, you feel like you could still, you could have avoided it even with still having the, you know, the, the, thing of cat switching out her badge which is why right. that's there um you know like that's the whole reason that they have them monitoring their own badges i'm sure but you could still have had that even if you had coddle check or somebody check their badges right you could then have had her go off and somehow sneakily switch to them behind somebody's back and oh, still yeah. like it doesn't even really mean that that plot no longer makes sense you know um right so but anyway, but anyway, that's how it's set up. Yes. And yeah, right. So, okay. So, yeah. So let's talk about Kat because that's the plot, you know, that's the basic plot. And thankfully they go from jump one to jump four. Yes. Like <laughs> over the course of, yeah. of a commercial break yeah. or whatever. So that's, you know, props to them for not making us sit through yeah. you know, three more of those. Yes. Um, Outbound and inbound, yeah. Right, exactly. Right, yeah, and uh, it always kind of, I think that threw me the first couple times where I didn't quite realize, like, what was going on. But, yeah, now that I've seen it a few times, it's like, oh, okay, we literally just, like, skipped over, like, several hours worth of story. Um, but, yeah, that's right. fine. It gets us to the the meat of the of the plot and everything, so. Um, um. And so, you, yeah, you so know, Kat, and you know where it's going because they're just getting sicker and sicker. So it's sort of like all it's really skipping out is the 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 slow kind of decline in everybody's health and everything. Right, and I don't. So I don't even know. Do we know how many ships are actually taking? Because what is there like? I think they say at one point like we made. Like, doesn't Lee say, like, oh, we got eight more ships, but we lost one? Uh -huh. So, like, is it, so it's, like, nine per trip. So, sure. apparently. Um, okay. Okay. I'm just trying to, I was just trying to think of, like, what that. Yeah, I didn't even remember. Um, we've probably um, been told how many ships are, like, in the fleet, but I don't remember what it yeah. is. Um, well, we lose two. Right. In this episode. At least two. At least two. I guess two. we don't yeah. know if others were lost in... in some of the other well trips. and that's true because in the first trip when they when hot dog loses his ship and ties like that's only the first trip I, the implication to me is that like this like probably more were lost in between the stuff that we saw you know because yeah the, if that yeah, if, if you're already disoriented on trip one it's like i would imagine it just gets worse from there well um, and and does this does this become the start of where the Galactica really becomes like kind of a refugee ship. Mm. At... Yeah, I think these uh, civilians start sticking around for a while. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, not that we haven't had civilians on the Galactica before, but like. Yeah, but I think that is always, a, it was yeah. always more of like a temporary thing. Right? right. No, I think they do. I mean, I don't rem remember specifically whether there are other reasons as well, but I think at least starting here you get like it becomes more of a thing that there are always tons of civilians around 
in the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, making things um, more difficult for the crew and everything. Yeah. Ty, especially. Yeah. Um, or at least he... He complains about it. Not that he has to, not that he has to do anything with them, you know, but they annoy him the most. So, all right. So, um, so we have Kat. Yeah. So going back to like the very beginning where it's like, you know, we're running short of food and you see like the pilots all, you know, basically combining their stores right whatever they've been holding out like you've got lee you know kind of making them all chip in and then they're going to divide it evenly and cat of course is the only thing the only one who doesn't have -hmm. something to contribute um which to starbuck is uh a load of bs Mm -hmm. like starbuck just knows that cat is withholding something Mm -hmm. um in more ways than one yeah Right. Well, yeah. So, but this is, I mean, again, not not the first time that Kat and Starbuck have butted heads. Right. Right. Um, and, I mean, I think we want to believe Kat when she says that she, whatever food she had, she gave to Coddle. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, because Coddle would be distributing it to people who are actually sick or, mm-hmm. or you know in most need of it mm-hmm. um at that point right mm-hmm. um so kind of jump forward a little bit to when lee's describing their mission uh and tells everyone that they're going to be using stims to help stay awake and of course we know cat has previously been a stim junkie mm-hmm. right so uh she objects Mo- I mean, it seems to me more out of fear mm-hmm. of using again and maybe being pulled into that mm-hmm. uh, addiction than, you know, necess- the objection she gives is that they don't have enough, you know, fuel reserves and, you know, body fuel reserves to, you know, support like a heightened metabolism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of get the sense that she's not too keen on the possibility of being addicted to stims again. Um, right. Well, and, and her, you know, being burned by that experience of knowing what it feels like to be so hopped up on, you know, the stims and with no control over her flying and everything. Um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And of course you get Starbuck making sarcastic re- responses to yeah. her objections there or whatever. Oh, used to like the stems cat mm-hmm. um that sort of thing but uh cat's story really doesn't start i mean those are you know kind of little points or whatever but her story doesn't really start until the civilians start coming on and she gets uh apparently runs into well she doesn't see him at first but he sees her uh a guy named enzo mm-hmm. um who calls her sasha Mm-hmm. And and suddenly there's intrigue and wonder uh, <laughs> because we've not heard her called Sasha before. And why would this civilian be calling her Sasha? Um, so, yeah, I mean, long story short, turns out that uh, he's an old friend, so to speak. Um, 
and basically was a drug supplier for her. And they were, they were truckers who moved um, not only drugs, but also apparently people back and forth. Uh, I'm not, I'm not clear, you know, exactly. Like when they say trucker, like, does that mean literally like, you know, wheels and like on the ground vehicles or were they like Han Solo type, you know, smugglers like with a ship or something? Cause uh, she's a I, pilot. I get more so of that. Like, I get more of that vibe both because of the piloting like that. Okay. So when she shows up as a nugget, she has some, she's never flown a Viper before, but she has some experience behind, you know, flying something. Um, yeah. But then also the way that Starbuck talks about, the speculations as to how Cylons got to various places throughout the fleet. It seems like what you're talking about is, is the truckers that would move between planets. So like a, a a space version of like smuggling people across, you know, uh, you know, across boundary borders and getting them through checkpoints and all that kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of, the implication, I, I think, at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, which, you know, brings up a couple things. Because obviously it seems like, like, yeah, like that's where Kat would have gotten her flying experience, right? Mm-hmm. And, and all of that. But also, um, Enzo goes, you know, I know who you are and I know how to make you happy. Um and there's sort of a double entendre there because mm-hmm. like later they have sex mm-hmm. and, you know, it seems like they were an item. But also given her history with stims and stuff, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, was he like, was it not just that she was like a drug deliverer, but was she also a partaker, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and, you know, what was involved there? Um yeah. And that that actually would make sense given why you know, one she became addicted to stims in the first place and then also why she might be scared now. Um Yeah. You know, to to go back to that. Uh Right. I mean, everything again about the way she talks about uh not wanting to use the stims is like like you said it's fear-based, but it's also the voice of experience you know, like for better or worse, like, or for both, you know, that like, as maybe as experience with that particular drug, but also maybe just drug abuse in general. Um, and, and, you know, knowing, uh, what it's like to be hooked on something and to not be able to, you know, get yourself off of it. Um, yeah. So, um so so yeah she um obviously she does the jumps with the rest of the crew and for the first three apparently she does okay i mean we don't see a couple of them at least mm-hmm. so um you know but she does make it through the first one um at least and and the next couple and then on the fourth jump she loses her ship mm-hmm. the karina well, not, you know, the ship that she's escorting. Yeah. Um, and takes it pretty, pretty hard, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so to speak. So, um, and by that point, like you said, like you see, you see like sort of the physical de- 
variation. So you have like is like hot dog throwing up, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, racetrack like having called out the wrong numbers to the wrong ship or whatever, right? Um, and and just sort of a general sort of like even like Lee is giving instructions and is like horse and right kind of sound like he's about to throw up kind of the whole way through his yeah um and you're getting you know people sort of talking back to him and he just does he he, like he can't he doesn't like disagree with them like he it sort of looks like he actually agrees Mm -hmm. with their objections and stuff and doesn't really do anything about it and so um yeah so cat gets real real uh upset about it um she has this conversation uh first with enzo right like there well i mean so there's the earlier conversation but then like there's the he like comes to the deck right Mm -hmm. uh to the hangar deck and uh she's like pushing him out and starbucks sees them so then you got starbuck going off and finding out from enzo apparently what is what cat's all about and then confronting her um and that's where you get the story about like you said uh yeah that there was smuggling going on and that this is the first time we sort of hear it but you get the sense that like this is at least one posited theory of how Mm -hmm. the cylons were able to invade uh you know the human population was that um maybe they were deposited on a planet that you know has a has a smaller uh uh population and so wouldn't necessarily notice a ship coming and going you know in mm-hmm. the same way that caprica could or whatever um and that yeah they sort of moved further in to their positions through mm-hmm. uh you know uh uh less legitimate transport systems such as the one cat might have been involved in mm-hmm. um right and so that yeah. it, that implication that and not just implication but i mean starbuck comes right out and says uh you know those those people are considered traitors who help the cylons and you very well may have and you don't know that you didn't because they look just like us and like cat even says like you know it wasn't me they look just like us and it's like well then how do you know it wasn't you and all of that but you know that that thing where uh so starbuck you know says she doesn't think that cat's a traitor but she does think that uh cat lied to get into the company of good people which is pretty much what she did Mm -hmm. like that's not untrue um, right, because, I mean, we didn't kind of mention that, uh, apart from the revelation of what she did in her past as sort of to, to get by, but um, that her identity is, is stolen, you know, that's the right. kind of other half of it is, is that, um, you know, when, you know, the, the apocalypse happened and, um, you know, at some point, in you know either either right away or later when the opportunity presented itself she you know um you know stole the name and identity of you know someone that had died um which i can't remember 
I just need to like try to Google and find this. I can't remember if I read this like whose idea if this was like the writers or or the actor or whether this was just some fan theory or something. But um, so I don't know who to credit, but it stuck with me that um, uh, the the kind of funny thing that's always been of like why is Cat's call sign just like her name? Like everyone else has a call sign that has nothing to do with their name, but hers is just like a short nickname version of, you know, Katrain. And like kind of the speculation being that like, well, the her whole name is really the call sign. Like she kind of doesn't need like a mm -hmm. hot dog or a Starbuck. Like, you know, her real name isn't Luann Katrain, that that is this assumed identity. And so in a way that's enough of a, of a kind of call sign in its own. Um, which I kind of like that idea that like she, her kind of, her obsession with being that character, you know, and kind of being something different than who she used to be is kind of sufficient. She doesn't really need, you know, a, a fancy sort of nickname on top of that. Um, but, you know, and it, and it does do a lot, um, kind of retroactively. I think it does a lot, a, a good job at sort of explaining characteristics and choices she makes in general about like her general kind of overcompensating, you know, qualities mm. of like, you know, uh, wanting to, you know, uh, compete with Starbuck or impress Starbuck, wanting to be the best, wanting to be the CAG or wanting to be the best fighter and get the, the beer stein. Um, and that kind of hyper competitive, you know, aspect of her is like, how much of that is motivated by this, whether it's inadequacy or guilt or, you know, shame of her past or whatever, or a mix of all of the above. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that the fact that she's been sort of, as soon as we see her been striving to sort of not just hide from her identity or make a new start, but like go out of her way to distinguish herself amongst everybody else. Um, suddenly kind of takes on a slightly different flavor when you know kind of where she came from and everything. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I don't know that I ever really thought about that, about the call sign, so... Yeah, I didn't either. I don't know who to give credit, like I said, but somebody had that clever idea. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, I think we can see those qualities in her from earlier on, like the com the competition and the, you know, all that. But, like, it's not really obviously till this episode that Starbuck plants this notion of, you know, that you could have been one of the ones... Um, you know, directly responsible for what happened that like, you know, so now it's not only just shame from a kind of like, you know, shady past or whatever, but it's the, the shame of, you know, the, all of the, the guilt associated with that. Um, which is kind of funny. I didn't realize this until now, but when you put this together with, um, the episode with Bulldog, it's like, there's a couple episodes 
close together that deal with like people suddenly feeling like they're responsible for what happened, Mm. you know, like, and I, I don't, I haven't thought about that to think, is there anything else like that around this part of the season? But, um, it's just a, it's a trend. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just a thing of so many years out from a disaster. Once you're over the, the shell shock of it, you start to analyze more deeply. All right. How did that happen? You know, like, what did we do wrong to allow this thing to occur? And so suddenly people start sort of re-examining bad decisions that they made or, you know, um, you know, thinking about those things a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, and the longer you go to the more, likely that some like you know i mean i feel like there's still 40,000 other people mm-hmm. in the in the civilian fleet right like there's even been other cylons who have just sort of appeared mm-hmm. you know out of nowhere <laughs> um not recently maybe but like for a while there it seemed like oh there's one popping up like in right. this ship or in that ship or whatever and so uh, just kind of as you go on, like the more likely you're going to run into someone who maybe knew you, even though, you know, the fleet population now is just a small fraction of what, mm-hmm. you know, the original colonial population was. But yeah, like at some point you, you know, you're going to come into contact with most of those 40,000 people. Mm-hmm. And the chances become higher that you'll actually know someone. And so that that's what happens here, right? Is that, you know, it's not that like, oh, I ran into someone and hey, happy reunion. It's, oh, crap, here's someone who actually knows who right. I used to be. And so, yeah, I mean, there's also a sense in that, like, like these are these are the kind of people who would have survived because they were already good at evading, Mm. you know, capture. Right. Mm -hmm. So like it, it kind of makes sense that like cat would have survived, you know, because she was someone who was constantly, you know, figure, you know, if she really was a drug runner and a people runner, like she would have known all the ways to sort of get from place to place mm-hmm. without being easily detected. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with Enzo. And we don't even know. I mean, maybe she knew that he was in the fleet somewhere. Like maybe they were together mm-hmm. when the Cylons attacked and then just got split up, you know, within the fleet or whatever. I mean, the implication is that I guess the way she says it, you know, they must, they probably weren't together when the attack occurred. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like, she's like, oh, she has to explain, like, I took this other person's, right. Right. You know, whatever. So, um, right. You know, I guess, I guess probably she didn't know Enzo was around, but anyway, all, all that to just say, like, like, it's not, like we like to think of like the okay, you know, 
Atama and the Galactica crew and whatever, like they were smart, you know, and, and were able to evade detection and whatever. And that's great because they're military and whatever. And then you have like, uh, you know, Roslyn who was more good hearted about it and was like going up and like gathering people and bringing them together Mm -hmm. to, you know, survive and that kind of thing. And so like, we like to think of those as like the nice people who survive because like of their smarts and generosity and, you know, ability to think tactically or whatever. But like, there's also like the scoundrelly type of people, right? you know, who, who of course survive because it's their, you know, everyday wits and, and right. You know, uh, uh, Right, like a little will will to like sort of stay ahead of you know stay ahead of Johnny Law or whatever you want to call it. Right, like a little more street smart. Um, Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, it's even funny. Like, I would throw Zarek in that crowd, even though he was in prison at the time. But like, you know, right, opportunistic. Yeah, like yeah, you know, um, and you know, but on a you know, maybe Derek is more so that way with with Cat and you know you, and Enzo. It is more just that thing of of surviving. You know, from not opportunities to like you know take advantage necessarily in the way that Derek does, um, but like you know, but seizing on opportunities to escape from you know tight corners and uh, you know, and Cat does take advantage to in a way to like advance herself and thrive. You know, like she sees an opening to not just survive the attacks, but actually, you know, start over and, you know, make a name for herself and, you know, again, excel and distinguish herself at something in a way that's not just a competent, like, you know, street smart, you know, drug runner, but, uh, you know, an officer and one of, you know, the, the premier officers in the fleet and everything. Um, Yep. So, So, yeah. So, okay. So all that to say, um, so Starbuck confronts her and like, we kind of see Kat stripped down right to the core, right? Like she's basically starts crying and begging Starbuck not to tell Adama. And right. And that's like the kicker is like, you know, like, I feel like at first it has one of those, just the air of another confrontation between Starbuck and Kat of giving each other a hard time and, and fairly, you know, a meeting of, you know, if not quite equals, at least Kat is somewhat standing up to her. But I feel like the real, I mean, kind of planting the seed about the, the, you know, being a, a traitor to humanity kind of is kick number one. And then the real blow is, you know, that Adama might know, you know, um, yeah. like, don't tell the old man, you know? So it's like, it's it's not just, it, it, it's not enough to bring her down that Starbuck knows. It's like that Adama might know and, and judge her. Um, and not, not just don't tell him, but let me be the one to tell. Right. Like, like, which is, like, it'd be one thing to be like, keep it a secret, 
and Starbuck would be like, no, right. I'm not going to do that. But Cat at least wants the opportunity to sort of try to make things right by at least coming clean to him, mm-hmm. even if she hasn't done so yet. So, and and it works. Like, Starbuck doesn't tell him. Like, she, for as much as they, uh, you know, have have butted heads on any number of things, like, Starbuck seems to at least respect that much that mm-hmm. uh, Kat would be willing to tell Adama herself, except that she doesn't. <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. then we see, like, her in front of the mirror and her hair is falling out. And then we we already know her like her well no it was at that at that point that she like pulls her badge out of her pocket and it's black and mm-hmm. so she goes and steals Hilo's mm-hmm. uh, badge and um so at that point and it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna give a freebie and save somebody Hilo's a good choice it's like she goes for like, sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's kind of a nice choice of like I, the most noble person, you know, like. And it's it's questionable whether she intentionally looked for her or whether it was just like sure the she first was just one trying was to find handy. any any badge that you know is suitable. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, I mean, there's a certain uh, yin and yang to mm-hmm. you know her her choosing Hilo's badge to switch with. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, Hilo's probably the only one who would actually honor, like, the, you mo- you have to monitor yourself, you know? Sure, like, right. Gosh darn it, my yeah. badge is black. I actually do what he's told, yeah. Um, you know, go out. But, so, she does that to be able to make one more trip. So the question is, like, is this her just trying to, like, go out in a blaze of glory so she doesn't have to you know, tell Adama? Mm-hmm. Or is it her trying to be heroic and, and you know, trying to live up to the ideal of what she thinks, you know, regardless of whatever sacrifice and self-danger mm-hmm. is required? Like, you know, she still wants to help other people. And um, maybe there's a bit of both in there. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to necessarily be mutually exclusive. Um so yeah, and she goes on the last run, and it's touch and go there, and the rest of the rappers, rappers, raptors, uh, make it through uh, with their charges, um, but she can't find her last ship. I forget what the name of the ship is, but um, she can't find it. She can't find it. She can't find it. And then suddenly, like last minute, she's able to find it and brings it through, saves the day so to speak, or at least that ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, climbs out and does her little sort of rocky, you know, impression, um, and then, like, immediately falls over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, that's, you know, was she trying to avoid Adama in that instance? Was she, you know, just trying to complete the mission like i don't know i like i i kind of again maybe it was a little of both mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't i don't have a good answer there but um yeah no i don't know that i have 
a definitive one either. I mean, I, I, I don't know why I, I feel like I lean more in the direction of, of the, the, the heroic, um, you know, proving herself side of things rather than the kind of more, you know, bleak running away from the truth kind of side of things. Um, I think it definitely can be both. I don't think they're, you know, exclusive, but, um, I don't know. I guess just the fact that she says she wants to tell Adama herself and that she does at least try to do that later. I, I don't see a sure. reason why <laughs> when, we... when she's in bed and can't move and he's sitting right there. Right. Right. Well, and also I think that, um, the scene with Starbuck and Kat is taking place like like we said in between jumps four and five, so I don't I don't necessarily know. So there's that, not a lot of time. I don't know that I took Starbuck as so much to like you know intentionally not telling Adama. I just maybe more took it as she hasn't told him yet, um, or that we haven't got to a place where somebody has to tell him yet. It's more of a after we're through this crisis, somebody's going to tell him, you know, and maybe we don't get sure. to see how that would have gone. Um, and that's, that's fair. Like, I, I guess I took it as a, okay, fine. I won't tell him right now. Like, yes. like you're right. Like, yeah, maybe, right. like maybe she was like, if you don't tell him within the next day, then I'll tell him or, or whatever. Or like, yeah, like right. by the end of our next. Right. Right. Trip. Right. Or or once we're through this particular, you know, crisis that we're in, you know, because they kind of just have to go, you know, from one, you know, jump to the next or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. I think because of that, I take her at her word a little bit more that she was planning to tell him if she could. I don't know that it would have been the end of her world if she hadn't got to tell him. Like, I think if she you know, she seems willing to go down in that blaze of glory. And if that meant that she never had to tell him, I think that isn't, she certainly didn't stop everything to go run and tell him right away, you know? Mm. So you kind of take that as far as you, as you want to, as to how, you know, how long would she have gone? But, um, but I don't know, like, so with the title that we cho chose about the soul colonic, you know, I, the, the connection that jumped out to me was that, um, that kind of metaphorical cleansing, you know, which sure. in Connor's case is, is a kind of more wholesome thing. Um, like, like he gets the, the bad stuff kind of glowed out of him in a kind of nice way. Whereas like this, I think is kind of something similar but like a much more you know destructive version of that of like I don't that's kind of how I read that that whether or not she thought she was going to die or not she certainly was willing to and it's like one way or, the, or another I'm gonna be one of these good people and if mm. I have to burn the bad out of me to do it I will and then the consequence you know might be that she dies, which is what happens. Um, but I took it more as that kind of willful act of, you know, putting herself in danger in order to prove herself or to earn that place or live up to the title or whatever it is. 
Um, and not so much as like a intentional kind of suicide, I guess. Um, so. Sure. Fair enough. All right. Um, well, we're over our time, but yeah. we still have a little bit more to talk about. Um, so I did want to bring up um, a couple of the other characters. Um, we did, We I think we mentioned Athena already, just kind of as the one who goes out and finds the food. Um, did you have anything else with her? No, I mean, I think just like that that thing of her being, again, also being someone who has to prove herself, you know, who's not counted as one of the good guys necessarily and has to, so just that she gets these dangerous missions that like, you know, are maybe less dangerous for her, but still not entirely safe. And that she is kind of, like she said to Hilo, having to continually prove herself every day that's never taken for granted. So, you know, yeah. um, so she's the one who gets to go drive around in the radiation to see like what happens, you know, like gets to play the guinea pig a little bit, um, you know. So yeah. just kind of noting that that is, you know, a, a, a recurring thing with her character. Um, and then um, a few notes on like Ty and Ty with Adama. Um, so we had Adama sort of telling him that he needs to return to the CIC, right? So this is Ty coming back. Um, he gets an ovation. Mm -hmm. Um Pointedly, Gaeta does not join in. Mm -mm. Uh, Adama also does not join in, but just because, like, he's just doing his thing. Right. Adama, um, Adama's more like, I'm not going to make a fuss because I know he wouldn't want that, you know? And that's right. what Ty does. And and Ty you, says, like, oh, get back to work, you know? Like, he's yeah, like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Whereas, like, Gaeta is definitely a, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, pointedly sort of not protesting for you. Yeah. yeah um which uh it actually reminded me um to bring up that uh d doesn't really clap either um not quite as oh, okay. not quite as angrily but she kind of refrains a bit and um i don't know that i uh mentioned in the previous episode but it, it reminds me in in when they're in the the boxing ring in the last episode when she's kind of you know, staring at, at um, uh, Lee and Starbuck and angry about that. Like, there are some shots of of Gaeta kind of watching her and kind of looking offended on her behalf and everything. Um, and so I feel like mm. they're kind of setting up this, like, I mean, we've seen them before interact, like, you know, like in the CIC and everything. And, you know, I don't think it's like, it's not like they've never had interaction, but I feel like they're doing little subtle things to kind of show the bond between those characters that like, you know, um, when one of them is kind of abused by somebody, the other one is sort of, you know, uh, supportive, to I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which yeah. I don't know that we see either of them with very many other people. So it kind of makes sense that like, if you work in the CIC all the time, like those are your friends, um, you know, like those are the people that you're close to and everything. So I think it kind of, it's a sure. nice little parallel. Um, right. 
even just by virtue of being on the same shifts and and the same schedule and right you know whatever well and um, there are more peers now that d got promoted and everything like it's less of a it's less sure. of an officer subordinate and more so like they're on the same level so um so i feel like in in the last couple episodes they've sort of you know made more of a point of that um fair enough so um and then you get the scene with Ty and Adama where they're in Adama's office um, and sort of, you know, talking through logistics and how many people are still sick and, you know, all the stupid civilians who uh, you get these people to the other side, they think there's a diner and a chef waiting to take their order, um, you know, and, and, and then the uh, tasteless kind of literally, joke of, I hear they're still eating paper. Is that true? And Ty says, no, paper shortage. You know, very deadpan. Yeah. Um, they both start sort of laughing hysterically. Yeah. And Adama, Adama as he's laughing, he's like, this isn't a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, he knows that this means they've reached the point of hysteria where, yeah. like, their hunger is so intense that... Um, their body is starting to yeah. sort of shut down right on a rational and, and, and whatever level. Right. And like, um, and just the, the, the irony of, well, we can't even find alternative food sources because those are short as well. Like, like just the, the idea of, you know, we're going to get to the point where we're short on everything, you know, like, like how long can we keep, how much paper do we have? How can we make more of it? Like just the hysteria of um, that there, this can only go on for so long. Um, yeah. And that to me, that's the, that's the Jane Espenson humor. Like that's sure. like the one like big laugh out loud moment, which is maybe even funnier because it's surrounded by all this like depression and everything. Yeah. It's um, a pretty stark episode yeah. otherwise yeah so like to, so that you have this kind of giggle fit halfway through from like ty and adama is you know kind of funny um yeah right. so yeah yeah so all right i think that's all i had um any other final thoughts or um i mean i don't know that we need to really go into baltar and three and the hybrid too much oh yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah. i i mean there's i I don't know that there's too much more than we don't really learn anything new it's just that now baltar knows it too right like three is killing herself to get the visions although she doesn't quite remember what it is that she learns in the visions um but baltar is keyed into this because he's still trying to figure out if he's one of the final five or not um and uh and and the notion for him that he would stop being a traitor to one group and become a hero to the other is the 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 attractive side of being a cylon um you know um yeah and there's some like and then the stuff with the hybrid yeah yeah uh where so, right, so she says, intelligence, a mind that burns like fire. Find the hand that lies in the shadow of the light, in the eye of the husband of the eye of the cow. It's a lot of ofs uh, in that sentence. In the eye of the husband of the eye of the cow. Um, and so he, he sort of figures, oh, 
Hera, the goddess Hera, was sometimes called cow-eyed mm. Hera, and so they must be talking about baby Hera mm-hmm. or little girl Hera at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like beyond that, like we don't really know yet what all that means. Um, and does the does like intelligence, a mind that burns like fire, even refer to him? Sure. He seems to think that it does. <laughs> yeah he would yes um yeah we don't really know how to interpret all of that yet so keep it in mind i guess yep okay all right on to angel on to angel um benediction getting close to the end of the season here uh but not not quite the end um all right so oh and and uh sorry episode yeah. written by by tim minear written and directed by tim minear written and directed all right very good um so it should be good then right um well you tell me <laughs> what did you think um i thought it was good i didn't jump out to me as a tim minear episode i have to admit um i, I didn't notice him in the credits um and um, yeah, I don't. It I mean, have the the signature, you know. I, I guess the signature kind of ticks of like time jumps and nonlinear structure and all that kind of thing. So that sure. maybe that's why it didn't tip me off. But not that he only knows how to do those things or anything. Um, sure, but no, you're right. Like, there's also there's often a lot of like like with the are you now or have you ever been or. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he did a lot of the Angel and Darla, right. you know, mythology, which right. this is kind of a continuation of. Sure. You know, right. with the Connor story. Hulks. like yeah. yeah. Um, especially since, yeah, like, I mean, they bring up a number of times, you know, Connor's parentage and, you know, mm-hmm. what he is sort of and compare that. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, it's not it's not as recognizable as some of his other episodes. Um, not a terrible episode by any means, mm-hmm. but like it's, it, I wouldn't put it up there with maybe his best either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and it is that kind of uh, penultimate episode where it's kind of more about moving the characters to uh you know, get them to where they need to be for the finale, you know? Um, yeah. Not that, I mean, clearly there's an eventful ending to this episode. Um, but until that, it's a lot of, like, uh, more qu- quieter character interaction. Um, so, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's what, that's what the, the you know, second to last episodes often do. Um, sure. So, okay. I mean, I feel like we're going to jump around a little bit because the characters, again, all sort of jump in and out of each other's storylines and interact. So there's a certain amount of mixing up, but, um, kind of going in order of like character groups here. Um, might as well start with the Connor slash Steven stuff since that's kind of the focus, uh, again, this episode. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about his, you know, state of being, 
you know, torn between these two different identities, really, you know, like Connor and Steven, he has a name mm-hmm. for each of them, which kind of is a good way of separating them kind of, you know, in our minds and everything. Which, which one's Slinker and which one's Stinker? Slinker and Stinker. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, and yeah, and each like represented by these different associations of where does he belong and what is home and who are the people that are associated with that and being kind of torn between the two. Um, it actually makes me think of Baltar's line about we're all just trying to find out who we are. Um, and that's kind of what's going on with Connor and everything. Um, so, you know, like, so the stuff with Holtz is, you know, on the one hand, you know, he's drawn to it because it's, it's who he is. It's what he knows. It's, that's his father. Like, that's who he calls father. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you think of people in the world, how, what kind of terrible situations people put up with just for the sake of family, you know, or like familiarity mm-hmm. or whatever, like, like, you know, you will stay in some really awful situations just because there are family ties there or there's somebody that you care about or somebody that cares about you and and the so it doesn't it doesn't even really have to offer anything else like you know that's that side of his life there's no family besides Holtz it's just Holtz um and it's you know the hell dimension that they lived in which can't have been fun and it's living in like you know a grungy motel and scrounging out of vending machines and everything um and that's like clearly in some ways uh, i found food in a big metal box yeah um so in some ways that seems to be clearly the lesser life um except that the the tie to holtz is so strong like that's his dad that's who he knows and that's who's raised him and taking care of him um and but um on the other hand, you know, you have Angel who he doesn't really trust because he's been, you know, told not to, but, you know, um, uh, but there's all the, all the stuff that comes with Angel. It's not just the, so it's the attraction of the real father, like wanting to know, you know, his, his birth father, um, in a way, but it's also like, the people that are around him like there's more of a sense of family and community and like clearly it's a you know a more wholesome environment and everything um so yeah yeah, so he's kind of you know obviously and understandably torn between those two you know extremes but pretending not to be like when he has a good time with angel he says to holtz like oh it was terrible he he, you know, he tried to deceive me, but I wasn't deceived, you know, and like, this is after they've been out, like, you know, having Goofing the, like, like, and, yeah, yeah, like, so having a good time, like, fighting and, like, getting into, like, a big vampire bar fight, but then also, like, horsing around in the alleyway and everything. Um, so, you know, 
his suspicions of Angel really didn't last that long, you know, given what we saw, like, in his first episode and everything. Sure. Well, and then there's also, after that, there's also Holtz sort of pushing him to Angel. Yeah. Right. So you're getting kind of conflicting stuff even from Holtz. Um, and like as, as viewers watching it, it's like, well, we're not even that. I mean, until sort of the end and we see mm-hmm. Holtz's bigger plan, like we're not even sure really what's going on. Like, why would he like Holtz definitely seems in this episode much more measured and, and at times almost, yeah. uh, regretful Mm -hmm. for his actions and stuff um yeah and i mean we talk about that later but um there's definitely like he's definitely sort of pushing connor to go to angel to see what he's like and sort of experience him and then so it's interesting then when holt sort of condemns uh connor for yeah like he, what, he, I mean, I think he says something like he betrayed him or something, mm-hmm. like even like where, you know, he's saying, I've or I've seen like your true colors or mm-hmm. whatever, like yeah, like that that there's, you know, something there with Connor or slash Stephen, who, you know, to want to know Angel as his biological father, yeah, or whatever, um. You know, whereas Holtz was the one who raised him, but, mm-hmm. you know, isn't, you know, ne- doesn't necessarily have that blood connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with with Holtz's sort of mixed messages, like you said, and then finally what we find out in the end, that this is all a kind of a, a setup. Um, it, it kind of brings to mind a similar question that we had with... Um, the mayor and faith to me where like Hmm. to what extent does the manipulation of the mayor slash Holtz invalidate the love that they claim to have for their support, their kind of sort of child, you know, like, yeah, do we, cause you know, so much of the episode, like you said, it, it is, on the one hand, faking you out as to what Holtz's true motivations are. And it seems like he has actually changed um, and, you know, rethought the, the, you know, uh, the truth of his motivations or the, you know, the justice of them and everything. Um, And then, you know, we find out that this is, again, all a setup that it, it's, it's, this is his final revenge against Angel is, you know, his kind of suicide that is a, you know, a deliberate uh, setup to get Connor to, to kill Angel. So, and again, it's not just the killing of Angel, but it's the getting Connor to do it. That's the, mm. the real, you know, uh, really kind of devious part um and yet it's like okay we heard that whole we've heard this whole speech throughout this episode and even before about how he 
wants to raise Connor and, you know, all these things. And it's like, part of you wants to believe that he really, you know, partially means what he says and that, you know, he wouldn't have raised him all this time if he didn't have some affection for him or that maybe he's learned affection, even if he didn't feel it in the beginning. Um, but is it possible for him to, do, do they cancel each other out? Like, is it possible for him to be using him for the revenge in this way and really love him? Um, and mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Like, Holt seems to at least, whether whether he's sincere, he seems to believe he's sincere. No, that that's kind of where I am too. Like, like he seems to think he is saying true things. I guess but it, it, right, right. And then a more meta question is then: is that really love or not? But that's not the level that he's working on. It's like you know, yeah, you know. Well, and right, and so right, is that enough, or is it like that his? his sense of what love is, is so, uh, twisted. Tw yeah. Twisted or whatever that it's, yeah, just not, you know, doesn't, doesn't really, yeah, do anything. So I, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah I, I guess, I guess that's really the best I can, can come up with is that, he seems to think he's sincere, but maybe it's sincere in a in a way that like that defines love in a sort of non non traditional, to put it nicely, <laughs> way. Um, well, and and yeah. I mean, I can see, I can see if not totally buy an argument where it's like if if he really believes Angel to be that evil, then. Of course, the revenge is righteous, no matter how he goes about it. And and if Angel is really totally evil, it doesn't matter if he's manipulating Connor into doing it because they would never have had a real loving relationship anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Like in that reading, I think it's like it's not so much that he's sabotaging Connor's relationship with Angel. It's more that he's getting Connor to do the thing that Holtz believes he has to do, you know, which is take Angel down. Like, I I mean, I think he's wrong if that's the case, but I could see a reading where that's maybe the most sympathetic version where like, if he really does, has totally um, bought into like the irredeemable nature, you know, where Angel is not at all worth, you know, talking to or reasoning with or saving or anything. Um, yeah. You know, which is a not, a, not necessarily based on truth, but I could see Holtz being convinced of something like that. Um, but I don't know. I think you could also make a case that it's completely cynical and he knows that there's potential for Connor to actually reconcile with his real father. And this is his last way of 
making sure that that won't happen. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I could buy that as well. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Connor does go to Angel and uh, they... I mean, they're, they're sort of, they're sort of the awkward, you know, hey, I'm here. And then Cordy has a vision. So Angel, Angel invites Connor to go get into a fight with him, mm -hmm. basically. Um, right. They have some bonding time. At the, at the club. So, so why don't we bring in Wesley and Lila here real quick and okay. then we can sort of dispatch of them sure. at the same time. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, there's not a ton here you know you get wesley at home alone and he gets this message um so he shows up at this club and it turns out lila is there and she has set up justine to be jumped by a bunch of vampires which just so happens to be the vision that cordy sees mm -hmm. um so she's you know that's where she sends angel and connor uh to go and so um you know the whole thing between lila and and wesley is you know lila's like oh well you know now you can see this woman who slit your throat get killed and whatnot and wesley's like well if you think that's what i wanted then you don't know me um but when he has the opportunity to warn her he sort of hesitates mm -hmm. and for lila that's a sign of of something we don't really know exactly what but something that at least makes her think that they can work together mm -hmm. at some point um she's yeah, still at least sort of, not perfectly virtuous you know there's some hint of some kind of yeah. selfishness or pettiness or it, whatever this is sort of her version of like you know the the recruiter wooing you know top talent right like mm. take them out to dinner wine and dine show them your mortal enemy getting killed by vampires. Like, yeah, that's all like in the same boat. Right. Um, for Lila. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's not, I don't, I don't know that there's much more between the two of them in this particular scene, but mm -hmm. you know, just kind of gives her confirmation that maybe he's not as forgiving as he at least wants people to think he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, and, uh, it, and it and it kind of puts them in the place where they can see Angel and Connor together. So now you know everybody's sort of on the right. same page in terms of that plot point that you know uh, both Wesley and now Wolfram and Hart know that Connor's here and that they're together and everything. Yep. Um, um, yeah, so and yeah, and so it brings Justine back in as well. Um, you know, who, you know, shows up in the end to be, um, you know, used and manipulated by Holtz once more. You know, his his final, uh, you know, request is, you know, for her to be the one to do him in and everything. Um, yeah. Well, and not just to do him in, but, but to make it look like in a, particular a vampire way, right? has killed him. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so Angel and and Connor save Justine, kill some vampires, have a good time together. Um, and, you know, we talked about how that affects Connor later or whatever. But it seems like a, a special father-son bonding moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, so as far as Angel goes, well, I guess, or finishing out Connor, right? So Connor comes back again to the hotel after seeing Holt and, you know, him telling him again to go find Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, Connor comes back to this hotel and we have this whole scene with Lorne mm-hmm. and Cordy. Mm-hmm. Um, right, where we, you know, so, have his kind of demon prejudice, you know, you know, that... Yeah. Not just prejudice, but like outright hatred, you know, of, you know, his his dislike is... Uh, very apparent and you know and he's ready to take them out you know um i mean first lauren obviously because lauren looks like a demon um so he's easy to spot um and uh you know but then you know when cordy comes in it like you know you know he's ready to to kill her too and you know she doesn't even you know look look demonic at all um but that's also like because there's there's that thread running through too of like you know they'll show you pretty things mm-hmm. and and you know what, what does he say what the devil will offer you mm-hmm. something or whatever i what what is it he says about that um oh i didn't write that one down uh anyway just just that idea of that like what that Holt says about, you know, that, that, that temptation and yeah. Yeah. That, that you'll, you know, the demons will offer you something attractive and, and whatever. Um, right. And, and so you can kind of see Connor's wheels turning when Cordy admits to being a demon, mm. that maybe this is what Holt was talking about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's really pretty and you would never suspect her. So maybe she's the most dangerous. And that's right, when right. he tries to attack her and Cordy does her shiny light thing mm-hmm. again, um, which she can't really control. Or at least. I mean, maybe maybe she is starting to learn how to control it, but like. Right. But it's very, it's still seeing, very intuitive. It's like. Yeah. It's not something she consciously, you know intellectually controls it's more innate i guess um um and she sort of so she like dissolves the knife blade or whatever and then like yeah gives him his you know spiritual colonic right Mm -hmm. and and or soul colonic or whatever and takes away whatever pseudo you know radiation that he was giving off from the the hell dimension or whatnot and kind of yeah like kind of gets rid of all his i don't i I forget what they call it but just like his anger and and whatnot Mm -hmm. at least in that moment 
Um, right. Well, and that's a that's a question that you know I think is kind of raised and and left open is is what exactly did she do and to what extent you know how far do you take it like you know I mean obviously where this episode ends it's not like he's above anger you know like right he's he's not perfect he's still going to be a human being but it seems like he there were some effects of living where he did that went beyond just normal like human flaws um and was a more tangible thing like a real you know more spiritual sort of level of evil that was clinging to him um that she was able to sort of suck out so the question is how deep does that go is that is that a permanent thing or is this a thing that you know remains with him that he has to sort of keep um you know is there more cleansing to do or did she sort of take care of it in one swipe I guess is is a question um and does that mean that like did she cure him of his prejudice you know like you know like because in a way like okay seeing Lauren as like a kind of scary looking green demon you could kind of just explain his hatred in purely normal human terms of we are scared of things that look different you know like you don't necessarily need to have lived in a hell dimension for that to be a a, a thing right but like sure but on the other hand they definitely frame it in terms of that this is something specific to where he grew up and that Cordy was able to heal him somewhat um so yeah, that's just, I think, a question that's kind of not totally answered is how far, exactly what did she do and, and how how much of an effect, you know, will it have on, on his character and everything? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Lauren is pissed, obviously. Like, he doesn't, you know, take kindly to being, you know, uh attacked or you know verbally abused by anybody but on the other hand he kind of relates to connor in the way that he says like i know something about growing up with psychopaths in hell dimensions so there's also like at least some sympathy there or you know some empathy that's that's uncle filthy demon to you like he's still there's still the there's the loyalty sure. to Angel and there's the connection of he's not writing him off, but he's also gonna put him in his place, like you know, like an Yeah. Like, like an I uncle changed life. your diapers a week ago. Yes. <laughs> like right. um Yeah. No, and I mean there's also that uh you know uh Fred, like sort of contrasting that with Fred, who earlier is like, okay, so he survived an unspeakable hell dimension. Who hasn't? Right. <laughs> like, right. like, oh yeah, remember she was yes. stuck in Pylea right. as a you know servant to yep. demons as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, right. So there's no shortage of people in this group that. Um, can relate to what he's gone through, you know? 
So again, it's well, not just the family connection to Angel, but it's the 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 family in a larger sense here is, I think, appealing, and they actually can understand where he's coming from. Yeah. Um, also, like Connor, you know, it's not just Cordy that he doesn't detect as a demon, right? Like Gru, Gru's also he's a Pylean, right? Right. So. But he's, you know, just happens to be one who looks human. Right. So, right. Which you know, kind of suggests how superficial his, you know, his understanding of things really are. That it's not like he has some sort of innate demon detection ability. It's like, no, he goes for the guy that looks green and scaly. Like, like it's not right. that he can sense anything at a deeper level than that. It's a purely, you know superficial based you know uh i don't like things that look you know uh evil or different or whatever it is um yeah so yeah um okay um well we kind of so is there anything else to talk about we kind of jumped ahead and talked about <laughs> the ending a bit um, <laughs> yeah, we jumped all over the place. Kind of jumped all over, um, which I kind of thought we might, because it, you know, the characters just kind of all overlap and everything. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, other than, you know, Angel's sort of lying to Connor. Um, well, right, yeah. About what's going on. That's and, definitely and important. Sort of sends him away with Fred and, um, sorry, Fred and Gun and. They spill the beans. Mm -hmm. Like, apparently, Connor has, like, super hearing. Mm -hmm. You know, probably from all the training of, tra you know, how to track demons and stay alert and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They should have been more careful. I mean, come on, dude. Yeah, he didn't like, go that far. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he kind of hears, overhears them and right. runs back. Um only to find Holtz dead mm. uh, at the hand of Justine, but looking like yeah. it was a vampire. And specifically, he I mean, he knows from Fred and uh, Gunn that Angel was going over to see Holtz. So, right. you know, the obvious conclusion there is that Angel killed him. Right. Um, and so here's Angel going against... Uh, Cordy's advice and common sense and everybody's better judgment, you know, and starting off their relationship with this lie, um, which of yeah. course, I mean, uh, Holtz would have done whatever damage he could either way, but definitely Angel, uh, you know, digs his it's hole quite yeah. a bit deeper by making it look as like shady as possible. Um, yep. So yeah, this uh, this lesson about honesty and inclusion and transparency still failing to uh, really burrow its way into his brain, um, which is uh, not good, um, and setting it up for you know the big showdown in the you know whatever's to come in the finale. Yeah. Um, 
So speaking of Cordy, who has lots of advice for Angel in this episode, because she kind of only <laughs> has eyes for Angel in this episode, um, you know, to Gru's mm. increasingly miffed, you know, it, and Gru kind of cracks me up. Like he's only ever really miffed. Like he doesn't really ever, like you definitely get that he's getting more and more frustrated but it never really comes out as overt frustration or anger. It's just this kind of little sly smiling, you know, I know what's really going on and he's getting more and more convinced, but you know, he's not so far, he's not, uh, you know, really having it out with Cordy, um, other than little comments here and there. Um, you know, but we get the, the conversation with Lauren, which is a little bit, you know, it's not necessarily more pointed. It's just that the, the subtext becomes text. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. You, it? Aren't you sly with the subtext? Yeah. So, right. So, yeah. So the, 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 you know, mentions of, well, demon or dimension hopping doesn't always necessarily mean that it's, you know, meant to be, um, you know, yeah. uh, Cordy and Gru may not, in fact, be the the kind of, you know, destined, you know, interdimensional lovers that they kind of thought they might be um, when they first met. Um, yeah. Right. So Gru tells Lauren, hey, you know, tell Cordy I went out for a walk if she asks. And then he, like, yeah. reiterates if she asks. if she asks right, right. like like she's not gonna knowing she's yeah. not gonna ask right. and and that yeah there's despite her protestations in previous episodes of you know groove fulfilling some sort of need and you know that she has that seems to be further and further you know that need seems less and less fulfilling mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and in further and further apart uh, quantities or, or events. I don't know what you would call it, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. So he goes and leaves for like the whole day mm -hmm. and she, and it's not even like she's around Angel the whole time. Right. Cause Angel goes off. Right. And, like, is fighting vampires in the club and whatnot. And, I mean, Cordy, like, says that she goes in and, like, revisits her vision and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, like, she would rather, like, have a vision of Angel and Connor fighting. Right. Than, like, spend some quality time with Gru. Right. Or even wonder where Or Gru even is. have it occur to her where he <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, she doesn't ask. And then um, the cherry on top, so to speak, uh, the bitter cherry on top, is that when Gru does come back, he's sort of standing in the shadows and Cordy mistakes him for Angel mm -hmm. and, and says how glad so she happy is to, to see, see him. him. Right. Yeah. And Gru, of course, then steps out and is like, yeah, okay, I got you. Yep. <laughs> yep. So poor Gru. Yes. Um, 
but yeah, I don't, I mean, not much more to say about that. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess, I mean, the last thing too is, um, like you said, it's not even like she's, you know, uh, totally focused on Angel, the person the whole time, just because he's not there. And it's like, not only is Angel more of a priority than Gru is, but I mean, the other big part she has in the episode is just this continual discovery of her own powers. Um, and it's like, even that seems like a higher priority than Gru, like a more, you know, a, more of a demand on her attention. Like it's, you know, figuring out that she even can go back into the visions and, and testing her limits and experimenting with things. Um, you know, which then, you know, again, develops into the the scene with Connor and, you know, like figuring out what power she has there and everything. Um, so it's like, I don't even know that it's simply that she, you know, is, you know, choosing Angel over Guru necessarily, although that might be what happens. But it's also mm. like, of all the things going on in her life, Gru is not the most important. And he's maybe not even number two on that list. Like there are yeah. all these other things that are, you know, higher up and demanding more attention. Um, sure. So, yeah. Unfortunately for Gru, that is uh, the way it is. Indeed. And yeah, it's like, well, what's he supposed to do if, uh, you know, can he hang around if, if things don't work out? It's like, he's kind of escaped from his own hell dimension, you know, like his own right. people turned on him. So it's sort of like, well, you're not quite sure what happens to Gru in this uh, scenario if, if their relationship does end up, you know, uh, you know, breaking up and everything. But I guess, uh, seems like that's where it's headed. So, uh, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that it is sort of a weird cliffhanger with them because mm -hmm. it's just like Cordy saying hi and there's no like, right. Real, you know, right. end there, but yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, obviously they're there. That's kind of where we leave them off. And I, I don't remember if that's where we pick their characters back up again or not, but I mean, we will see him at least one more time. I'll, I'll say that much. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah. Cool. Um, did we miss anything? I, we don't, I, I, there's not a lot with Fred and Gunn apart from like just yeah they're the just kind of like facilitators this time yeah yeah I no I think we got most of it and um I mean and maybe yeah maybe the fact that we're done kind of answers the question we had up front of like whether this is Tim Minear's best work again not like it's you know same kind of thing though where. I mean, I don't. It's fun. Yeah. It's functional. Yeah, like, he like, doesn't do bad work. Um, we're 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 coming up to the last episode of the season, so it's not 
it's not a bad story by any means. It's just sort of a lot of moving things around and, mm -hmm. and getting people into places and, and kind of, yeah, having Holt set up this, what is clearly going to be the con the big confrontation between Connor and Angel, right. right? Like that's sort of the, at least everything's pointing to that. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's a surprise to say that like there will be some kind of confrontation there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. All right. So no, I think we're good. I think we can wrap this one up surprisingly a little bit a few minutes early there we uh, go. given how long we went over with our uh, mm -hmm. bsg stuff but yep all right well yeah so we'll be back actually so next week we'll have uh, another episode of buffy uh yes and uh we'll we'll see what happened with our gunshot victims i know oh my gosh okay so you're, you're going to go watch it like right Well, now. see, because the way we recorded this, we had an unexpected extra week off. Um, so I'm ready to watch the next yeah. episode of Buffy. Been sitting on that cliffhanger for a while. But I don't know if excited mm -hmm. is the right word, but I'm, well, I'm I anxious mean, to see what anxious. happens. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well. We'll be back to talk about it next week. All right. See you then. Mm -hmm.